0: And welcome to Pints and Politics, the 8th edition. Pints and Politics is a weekly discussion program of all things political coming to you through the facilities of Trent Radio. C Triple F in Peterborough. Uh, on 92.7 on your FM dial, my name is Bill Templeman. In addition to this radio show, Pints and Politics is streamed live from the Trent Radio website. We also have a podcast at pintsandpolitics.ptbopodcasters.ca. Uh, every Thursday, a small crew gathers at the Garnet Pub at 5 uh, for informal discussions about politics. All are welcome, so you can join us there as well. We post on Twitter at Bill Temp and on the Cooperate Peterborough Facebook page. Joining me tonight in the studio are our regular panelists from Town Ward, playwright and math teacher Tim Etherington, and from East City: communications consultant, podcaster, and writer Donald Fraser. Welcome back, Tim and Donald.
1: Good evening. Uh, thank you for your time with us.
0: And now, as both of you predicted, uh, Ford won a strong majority in Ontario. The race was a bit tighter here in our own riding, somewhat, with ECE candidate Dave Smith finishing just over 2,000 votes ahead of Sean Conway of the NDP and almost 8,000 votes ahead of Liberal Jeff Leal. We are now into the 19th day of the Ford era in Ontario. His government will be sworn in in three days on June 29th. So far, the sun keeps rising in the east, the setting in the west, and the train's still run on time. Uh, Rather than ask you to respond to a long detailed question to start our discussion, I'm just gonna make a series of random observations about the election, then ask you to help me connect the dots and understand what all these observations mean. So here goes, here's my list. Point one. uh, PC candidates, both here in peterborough Quartha and in other writings, did not show up to many all-candidate meetings, apparently on orders from Ford's campaign team. The PCs never released a fully-costed platform. Ford's platform, such as it wasn't, consisted of slogans rather than policies. Trust us was the message, and 40% of the electorate said yes. Doug Ford avoided answering questions
1: from the media. Wait, 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 wait. wait. 40% of the electorate? 40% Forty percent of the votes. The
0: votes, yeah, yeah, okay. The, <laughs> you, you got me. You there, got there, me. there are a lot of
1: people. Yeah, yeah, and, and and shame on you folks for not coming out. But I, I just wanted to jump on that. That's yes. <laughs> okay, um,
2: listen. If we're gonna, if we're gonna get into math. There were fifty-eight uh, percent voter turnout. That's 20, thank you. That 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 is actually twenty-three point two percent. Thank you, Tim. You're, you're trying to slide this wrong, by the
1: wrong two people, there, Bill.
0: <laughs> All right, I, I tried and it didn't work. Uh, Ford also. Uh, Ejected all reporters from his campaign entourage. Kathleen Wynne gave her concession speech. But he did have his own. Absolutely. Uh, Kathleen Wynne gave her concession speech five days before the vote. Uh, Social media was full of attack ads and slander from all sides. Often unproven, often fabricated, always damaging. The PCs clung doggedly to their core message in response to media questions over job cuts in the civil service. Over and over again, Doug Ford said, no job cuts. Facts and numbers appeared not to carry much weight in this, during this campaign. Slogans and slurs slurs ruled. In our writing, Jeff Leal sent out a letter a week before the vote claiming that his internal numbers showed that a vote for him was the only way to defeat the PCs. The details of this internal poll have never been released. Can you help me make sense of all these factoids?
2: I just, one thing needs to be stated that actually Donald was more consistent in the prediction than I was. He called the PC majority and I waffled. However, <laughs> it should also be acknowledged that I was correct that we had a larger voter turnout this time.
1: Yeah, and 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 I called that one, I called it early. I mean, um, there were a couple of reasons. First of all, our, our long-standing history as a bellwether, um, uh, uh riding, is... It says a lot. And I, I, I honestly think that people who follow politics uh, in any great depth knew where this election was heading, uh, both at, um, at the provincial level and at the, at the local level. Uh, there are very few po- folks, with the exception of uh, people who were in the liberal camp, that were uh, willing to call this a, a liberal PC race anywhere not just Peterborough, but uh, but across the province.
2: I disagree just a little bit. I mean, you're generally right there, but I, I, I do think the NDP failed to close the deal. I don't think they were prepared at all for the uh, conservative uh, onslaught when they start attacking a candidate day. They, they were quite outmatched when it came to that kind of bare-knuckled politics. If there is a takeaway from this election, unfortunately, the NDP's takeaway from the election is, look, we got close, we're just growing. Uh, but I think a cold-hearted observation is that this was the best chance that Andrea Horvath is ever going to get, and she wasn't able to close the deal and get over the top. And unfortunately, I think the NDP aren't going to take that lesson. They're going to stick with her.
1: When when we first sat down on the one uh, of the first things I actually said on, on this panel was that my advice for Andrea and the NDP was to keep their head down, uh, to to play clean. And, and and I think in in a normal election campaign. Uh, going against uh, what seemed like a very, very powerful conservative party that would have been the right route to take. But she was up against a populist whose raison d'être – was dragging people down and uh, uh, unfortunately I, I think i was a little bit wrong we to who she was a, who she was against in that she she needed to show a bit more spark and, and, and a little bit more uh, a little bit more anger and and point out who it was that she was actually um politicking against
2: well she might have been accused of not being uh, showing enough civility <laughs> <laughs> um
1: <laughs> civility in politics uh, let's, uh, we,
2: we you know we talked a couple uh, shows ago about post Truth politics and, 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 yes. and, and, and how it manifests itself, and it it is it can be very distressing to look at this. You know, to look at a, a government that gets elected. I, you know, we're starting the Ford years uh, on Friday. Is it that's that's when yep, the 29th and I I don't think ford saw much beyond this moment i I can't see into his heart i can't see into his mind Uh, but it doesn't appear that he really had a, a reason for being premier other than being premier and and you know being the guy right um and his his lack of platform I was partly strategic. It's partly because he has no platform and he's just throwing things out there now. I mean, we're getting a subway to Pickering, I understand or something like that. <laughs> <laughs> uh
1: it it's I'm loath to make a direct comparison between Ford and and Trump. Um they they are they're very different beasts in a lot of ways. I I I don't <sighs> i don't see some of the overarching issues of of you know white supremacy or or you know the race thing happening nearly as much with ford uh, also part of it is that ford doesn't have uh, the mandate or, or the capabilities to do as much damage as the president of the united states of america but where i do see a similarity between the two of them one of many put anyway the similarity that that strikes me the most is the uh, is the fact that they're making it up as they go, um, and it's it's funny you watch the the most uh, you watch the most powerful individual on the planet making up policy on Twitter late at night half cocked, and. You can't help but say, "Hey, that kind of reminds me of the premier of Ontario, and 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 his brother, who the the, the former uh, mayor of, of Toronto." It's 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 startling, uh, it's alarming. When you go to bed at night and you don't know what the government is going to do the next day, whether you're for or against that government, you should be a little bit scared.
2: I would like that we can start the show by saying something positive about our new premier. He's, <laughs> he is—he is clearly not a white supremacist. I agree with you. I will—I will give him that. Mm-hmm. Uh, he, is, he is definitely not. He's not animated by uh, the, the, the racial—the an- racial animus that—that that drives the Trump campaign. Now, the anti-immigration. Uh, um, know, fervor that his campaign tapped into, and his uh, his sort of third-party supporters like Ontario Proud certainly tapped into a racist vein. But no, he's he, he he's not that. What Trump and Ford are both symptoms of something else. Trump plays it extremely well. Ford plays it very well, as brother did. Andrew Shear kind of sucks at it.
0: And <laughs> may, may I may I um, present a, a, an option for Ford's sort of vision of how to handle. Uh, the campaign he's just successfully won. He tapped into, uh, I'm afraid to admit when I look in the mirror, something real about the uh, the snobbery, the elitism of the centre-left towards people who don't live that way, people who don't have those values, people who uh, do other things with their recreational time. And I, 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 are we seeing maybe the first skirmish in the culture wars in Canada.
2: I, I think they've been there for a while. I think Harper certainly played on that yeah. as well, but it is to a certain degree. I, I think we need to problematize that a little bit. You know, they, mm-hmm. they were, the whole idea of elitism, we've mentioned on a previous show, there's a lot of very rich, privileged people talking and railing against elites. It's not just Trump, it's certainly Ford as well, people born into privilege who, you know, who, who, who use this as, as, as a cudgel. Um, what's at the root of it? you know I mentioned past the hypocrisy behind it but what's at the root of it is something that I I, I call an id politics mm-hmm. you know where uh, it's, it is that on that instinctual level um, where you get people angry about something and listen that sort of technique's been around for a long time mm-hmm. you know Harris ran against uh, welfare and he ran against teachers and you know th- this this is not something new this certainly wasn't invented by Ford or Trump but it has become the foreground of politics now and it is certainly fueled by this very destabilized uh, social uh, uh, world that we have right now, powered by social media, where everyone's off balance and doesn't quite know how to position themselves. And into that, we do react rather instinctively.
1: The well, I mean, um, outrage is the new black. Um, it's uh, you know, you thought it was orange, but no, it's outrage. It's uh, and, and and you see this. You you see it online where uh, people on the left and on the right are are tearing apart at each other. Uh, this is where you're you're seeing um, you know the alt right screaming about the the elites the the social elites those you know it's, it's it's the educated it's the media which we've already talked about being utterly untrue uh, you know this uh, this leftist media notion. But <laughs> the outrage is also existing on the left, within the left. And and, and people are, are clawing each at each other and tearing each other down. Um, there, there's no such thing as a you united know, left. There, there's... There's a fractured, we have a fractured political system, and on the left we have a fractured left, um, and it, it's funny the the fact that the the right is wagging its finger about uh, you know these elites, but on the left there there's an elitism, there's a you know a, a more activist than thou, there's a, a a sense of you know you have to carry this burden, and for for gosh sakes you know if you say the wrong thing or say it the wrong way, Way or imply the wrong thing then you know you you're not left enough and so it, it's it's really scary um, the right's having a wonderful time because not only are they able to pick off the uh, the left by labeling them elites whether it's monetary uh, or culturally or intellectually they're also having a field day watching the left do it to itself uh, it's 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 a tough tough time to be progressive
0: can I uh Add the notion of strategic voting to this discussion, both on a provincial level and our local riding. So, um, contrary to uh, the letter that came out from the Liberal campaign before the election, uh, as the result, so the strategic vote to defeat the PCs, at least in this riding, uh, was uh, the vote for uh, Sean Conway and the NDP. However, not enough. Liberals and Greens made this choice. So, what does this mean for the future of strategic voting, both here and across Ontario? Now, I've heard NDPers in this riding, already expressing resistance to the idea of voting Liberal again federally, as some of them did in 2015 to elect Merriam and defeat uh, Harper. What What are the ramifications? Are we seeing the evolution of strategic voting, or or the demise?
2: Well, there's there's two things that fuel strategic voting, um, and and. To be clear, I, I organized a strategic vote in the, last, in the last federal election, so I unfortunately spent months and months immersed in these things. And there's two things. You know. One is uh, an attempt to block a particular candidate, uh, usually a right-wing candidate because we only have one major party on the right mm-hmm. now. Um, the other thing is, is the means to an end towards a different um, electoral system. And so even those who advocate for strategic voting, there's a, there's a bit of a separation there. Uh, The end in in the last federal election there was a great push on uh, lead now organize it nationally Mm -hmm. this this actually began Oh my god 18 months or something before before the campaign itself But many of the people who who were deeply involved in that saw it as an end towards uh, Proportional representation and felt I don't want to get lost in that right now, but certainly to this day feel betrayed by that so that still exists Uh, The other reality of strategic voting is, and it has more to do with just the the size of each party's membership, is it usually means vote liberal. So it's an awkward situation when it was clearly in this local campaign uh, that the NDP was ahead. And I wouldn't mind just saying something about that, because it did get kind of controversial there at the end. People are going to vote liberal. People are going to vote green, conservative NDP, because they want to vote for those parties. It's not that everyone's going to vote strategically. Mm. But there are... A number of people out there and certainly last election they numbered in the thousands who were genuinely sincerely trying to make a vote to ensure they didn't elect a conservative member because they really didn't want a doug ford government all evidence pointed to the fact that it was the ndp it clearly was and the results bore that out and you play a lot of tricks and i know donald you and i disagreed on the some of the mailers liberals went out i said yeah that's just politics you know you're putting an old poll out there and everything I took very strong issue with what they did at the end of the campaign, and the reason is, is thousands of people in this riding, the one thing they really needed and they really wished they could have was hard data. That's the one thing they needed to know, and, and beyond that, they were going to have to go in their gut, and the gut was obviously that the NDP was ahead. What the Liberals did is they claimed they had data, and it wasn't just a casual thing. It was their complete final push in the last 10 days. They claim they had the numbers. They claim they're in the lead. They tweeted out that their numbers were better than every other prediction website. They put a mailer out there that said it showed that. You know, I can, you can sort of excuse it. I mean, everyone, it's, it's tough working on a losing campaign. I've worked on a lot of NDP campaigns. I yeah. don't know what it's like to work on a losing campaign. It's not fun, right? I get all of that on an emotional and personal level. But I feel it crossed the line. And the reason I was upset about it is because as we move further and further away from the necessity of truth in politics, and we sit here in a certain smug position and talk about how Conservatives do it, um, the goalposts keep moving. Mm. And I can understand, like a lobster in boiling water, how you just move up in increments and everything like that. But I do feel the Lille campaign in the last 10 days went beyond where they should have gone. I I think a lot of the people in the campaign, it was an honest sort of mistake, but I do feel it needs to be recognized that you can't tell voters straight up we have something when it doesn't exist. you can spin you can massage, but to tell voters the one thing they want you have it and you don't have it it's a lie
1: i um w- we did have slightly differing opinions on on some of those mailers the the using using a a, a graph from uh, f- Showing the previous election result with uh, without a label and, and and you know kind of bluffing their way say oops we we forgot to put the label on it we're going to fix that which I, I don't know if they ever did um, they did but they didn't put out a media release or anything saying what they had done I I was I was more openly hostile to this than you were but it it echoed my refrain of a lack of trust in the political process and uh, that we wouldn't be in the position of having. Doug Ford's and Donald Trump's, uh, if there wasn't something so severely flawed with our party politics. these are Hail Mary positions. The President of the United States of America is a Hail Mary on on the dis- by the disenfranchised to find their way back into having some kind of representation in the political process. As it turns out, you know the Hail Mary that is that is Doug Ford, the Hail Mary that is uh, Donald Trump. Well, the chances of of landing a hail mary pass and pulling it into the end zone—it's it's why it's a hail mary—and <laughs> so we have these people who are, are putting trust into uh, into people who are really not on the Canadian or formerly U.S. political spectrum um, as as a way of of getting what they need, uh, which is. Uh, which is being paid attention to, which is being mm-hmm. uh, given services that they need. and and they they they're listening to people who are lashing out at uh, at the elites, the financial elites. the uh, that side of it really blows me away because they're voting for for individuals who come from money and who have apparent ties to business. But, um, it's it, it it makes no sense, but post-truth politics, don't make sense in the way that we formerly saw the way they used to operate. But, Donald, what about the people who say, look, suck it up, buttercup.
0: It's a tough game. Uh, there's going to be some elbowing in the corners. If the ref don't see it, it ain't a foul. And this is politics. I mean, certainly bo- all of us can reflect uh, on... Uh Bygone decades, bygone campaigns, when things got nasty. Is this just not the latest? I, there is that school school of argument out there. Say, so look, this is what happens in campaigns. If you're not ready to play, wait, play a tough game. You know, don't step on the ice.
1: They're they're breaking the rules, mm-hmm. and they're playing a different sport entirely. Fair enough. Um, so, Tim keeps on bringing up the post truth world that we're living in right now. And if you look back at some of the nasty battles, and even then, I think our, our nasty battles uh, in Canadian politics were relatively civil. Uh, a lot of these guys respected each other, uh, even if they really hated each other. For Jan Martin? Yeah, well, yeah. Yes. <laughs> uh, I don't, I don't know. know. But, but I mean, you, could, you could, there wasn't nearly the fisticuffs that were happening in, in a... Doug Ford campaign, which was all about going after, targeting individuals and then moving on to the next individual and then moving on to the next individual. That is a campaign of, of anger. It's a it's a campaign um, of, of attacking people on a personal level and I don't think it has a place in politics. Um, and, and when we're looking at what happened locally, the utter fabrication of, of, of data and numbers and polling... Uh, it has no place. It really doesn't. Particularly now, I, th- I think it's the onus is on politicians to try to bring voters back into the political fold. Um, and and every time we push them further away, by making blatant and obvious distruths. Uh, we're doing a disservice to Dis- truth. Okay. <laughs> I like it. I like it. Go ahead. Well, you ahead. see I, and yeah. I, again I talk about I talk about civility and politics uh, in the house of commons, you know but Tom, you, you, can't, you can't say the L word. You can't say lie. You're telling a lie. Mm-hmm. There, this, this is decorum, um, and you can't. And, and I don't believe in it's going to do anyone any good for me to start throwing around the L word, but nor do I think that it's going to do anybody any favors by not pointing out that the campaign that was being run, particularly at the end of it, um, was not very truthful. So let's, let's wind the clock forward,
0: uh, let's say about 12 months, 14 months, and or in the thick of a, the next federal election, what in your views, and both of you have been on the local scene for a bit, what in your views is going to happen to the whole practice of strategic voting?
2: In, in a word, it's dead in this writing. Um, and, and again, I'm speaking as the person who organized it last right. time. Right. It, and it, and I'm not hanging this on the Lille campaign. That's that's mm. That would be incredibly dishonest. I think that mm. there's some bad blood that exists from that. That kind of thing could dissipate. Uh the, the the issue and this is the smaller point, the issue would be that the Liberals screamed, Trust me, trust me, trust me, trust me at the end of the campaign and, and that wasn't true. But that's actually not the thing that's killing strategic voting in this writing. What's killed strategic voting across the country is the defeat of proportional representation electoral reform. There's there's enough people I mean there's a desire out there. There was in this provincial election, but it was very, very unfocused. Can I just add something to continue what Donald said? Because and you're talking about going forward, um, there are consequences to elections, and, and I'm talking now about the Ford campaign. There, there are consequences mm-hmm. to elections that just operate on slogans and operate on a gut level, and instinctive emotional level, because then when you actually achieve power, as we said before, you have no plan. Um, I think that there's an immediate example of that right now with the canceling of the cap and trade program. It made great politics. Right. Ford lied his way through the campaign, called it a carbon tax, said it was taking money out of your pocket. I'm. I'm not sure if every viewer, every listener is aware that the cap and trade program actually didn't cost the consumer anything. It was um, you know, permits were issued by Ontario, Quebec, and in Ontario, these were exchanged on a you know on California on a, on a carbon market. Sorry, thank you, yeah. on, on a carbon market, um, and the Ontario government got money from that. It tune over the course of the program of several billion dollars that then went directly into the pockets of Ontarians. So this was a transfer of money from large polluters to mm-hmm. Electricians, to backhoe operators, yeah. to plumbers, to people like that. To nonprofit organizations. To nonprofit organizations. And all that money has now been sucked out of the economy and given back to the large corporations. And the consequences of that, because this was the federal mandate, is now the Trudeau government will impose a carbon tax. Our provincial government is now going to sue the federal government at the tune of hundreds of millions of dollars. It made a great soundbite, and we all saw the m- videos on social media. The consequences of it is going to cost. Ontario uh, economy, billions of dollars, and unfortunately does a lot to diminish our brand in attracting large corporations. You want one consequence election? It was a bit of a long shot. There's no way the Amazon HQ is coming to Toronto.
0: Now, uh, keeping with your theme on moving forward, what is the the immediate future going to be like? What about uh, Doug Ford's claim that I'm going to save all this money and I'm not mm-hmm. going to cut a single civil service
1: job? Okay, well, you, you can simply not hire once someone leaves for whatever reason.
0: That's called attrition, yeah, yeah. but that's um, really slow. And
1: it is or it isn't. I don't know. I, I personally think there's going to be cuts, but the ramifications are huge. Uh, before the show we were we were chatting, I was, I was on Facebook, and a friend of mine uh, does, uh, does yoga workshops at a certain government building in town. Um, he's no longer able to do that because they're not spending any money... On anything. Not just right. not only is it okay. that you know we're not going to buy lunches, but you know what, you're you're not getting yoga in the workplace. It's so the off from you know from cuts to uh, to government services are huge. Uh, will he stick to the not being any jobs cut? I highly doubt it. Uh, but let's take a look at the spinoff on on what his cuts are going to mean when he's when he's making cuts to to government services. Uh, there's going to be implications across the board and okay so they're they're going to chop money that's going into environmental programming uh, i've i, I have worked for peterborough Greenup for a decade back in when Greenup was in black and white you know I, I saw this organization get whittled down to two staff people um and offering programs that were helping put money into people's pocket and help our environment which also is is a financial win um you know they're going to be decimated Uh, I'm sure of it. There are going to be so many implications financially where people are going to be hit and how it's going to really tax our economy.
2: One of of the best kept secrets in in electoral politics is that conservative governments really suck with budgeting. Um, Hey, I know we're getting near the end. Isn't that a generalization, sir? Talk about real data. Um, Can I give you one quick thing, though? I know we're near the end of the show, and I I wanted to loop back to us talking about politics. Okay. Um, something I was reading tonight on the website 538 because, of course, it's Tuesday night's primary night in the United States and, of course, all these obscure primaries in Utah right. and places like that. Um, I learned a new phrase today called Tinder banking.
1: <laughs> uh, there's, Tinder a, there's a
2: candidate banking. running against an incumbent Democrat in, in New York, I believe in Manhattan, the New York 12th. And one of his strategies is that he and his campaign team sit down with phones, and they go through Tinder and Grindr and something else I've never heard of, Boilerplate? Maybe something was I'm really not up on these things. And they, they keep swiping. They, they put down a fake profile of a good-looking person, and they swipe, 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 swipe. And everyone who responds, they come back with a pitch and say, hey, are you interested in civic engagement and everything like that? We are really, really too old for this game, I think. <laughs> and, and let me tell you that they're not the only Republican politicians on Grindr. They're Okay, but oh, yes, no, they're Democrats, by the way, just be oh, clear. Well. <laughs>
1: um, one more thing. I, we're almost out of time. I want to give a round of applause to uh, to Sean Conway, um, a, a a young politician coming, and I know what it's like to be a newbie in politics. Um, and you know it's it's a tough it's a tough road, to hoe. He was going up against a, a well-oiled uh, leal machine, and going up against a, a Doug Ford campaign that was a, a steamroller, and. I, I, for me, again, being inclusive and in, in seeing people involved in the political process, I see a young politician coming in uh, running a, a wonderful campaign, and not even reading his own clippings. Um, that's, that's the kind of politician that he was. So, uh, and this isn't an NDP thing, because I've, I've voted for a number of different colors. and this is, this is seeing someone engaged in, in civic politics. Uh, it, 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 it gladdens my heart. Right to Metherington. Ronald Fraser,
0: thank you so much. Uh, just a few things to cover but, uh, as we uh, trundle out the door here. Uh, the number of declared candidates municipally is now up to 22, including the two mayoralty candidates. And neither of them,
1: we're, that's, that's not us there, Bill. No. No, 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 Of course. <laughs>
0: July 3rd, uh, we're going to be talking, uh, we're going to hear from uh, Paul Rellinger and Dean Pappas. And then on uh, July 10th, we're going to be hearing from uh, Brock uh, Grills the 17th to be Ben Wolf not a candidate but a commentary on community and then the panel is back on July 24th gentlemen thank you very much
1: can't wait see you guys